We're talking about family and what God's design and plan for the family is. And I'm sure, if you're like me, your families have uh, moments or events or stories, uh, some of which are never allowed to leave the four walls of your house, uh, but others uh, are really good stories. Uh, I know for us, I mean, we have a lot of funny stories. Uh, maybe Lisa needs to leave the room for a few minutes, but uh, uh, you were there. You experienced these. But I remember once it was spring break and we uh, and in Indiana, spring break is the usually the first week of April. And a lot of times it's still snowing. So uh, we took the kids because we didn't we we didn't take family vacations. Really, it was never in the budget. But uh, we went for a long weekend. Remember, up north of Milwaukee, we went to the Great Wolf Lodge. And uh, the kids still talk about it. that was like the best vacation ever. It was like three days. OK, uh, but I think that was like the year 2000. So the kids were like eight and ten or something like that. But uh, I still remember I'm not a water person. When I say I'm going to the beach, that means I'm going to the coffee shop in the town where the beach is. I'm not going like down on the sand and and all that. At least in the kids, they love to get in the water. They love to be in the sand. I love to meet them later when they're done. Uh, but so the kids were begging me for two days, you know, get in the water with us, you know, do the lazy river. You know, come on, Dad. It's like, no, no, thanks. Uh, I'll just kind of come down and supervise and what. But the last day, oh, they were just pleading. I said, OK, OK. So they talked me into doing this. Uh, I don't know if every great wolf lodge has this. I'm sure they do. I think they just opened one over in Westminster or something. But they have the uh, this giant bucket that's like i don't know 20 feet suspended up in the sky it's like bigger than this stage and it takes a half hour to fill up and then every half hour they sound this horn and the big crowd they run and you stand under the bucket and then it tips over and it pours down thousands of gallons of uh, water so the kids they really wanted me to do this i'm like oh boy okay sure uh all right said, okay, it's the last day. I'll do this with you guys. So the horn sounds like, come on, Dad, let's go. So we run out there. You know, we're part of this huge crowd. I don't know, 40, 50 people. So the water comes crashing down, and it's really heavy. It's heavy. So along with the water coming down, my trunks started coming down with it. So I felt this tremendous cool breeze, you know, and it's like almost took my shorts off and of course my kids were like it's cool and I was horrified you know trying to get out of there this is why I don't get in the water that's why but my kids will still talk about that all the time oh remember when we were at Great Wolf Lodge and the water pulled your pants down and it's like yeah I was there Uh, I remember that I remember that well uh, that's one of those memories that really shouldn't be leaked out but it's already been out so I'm sure you have memories like that, too. Uh, one more. I remember once uh, we had some friends visiting uh, and they were just staying down the street. And uh, I think they were in their mid 50s, probably. Jay was five years old. So we walked down a couple blocks. We lived on Main Street. So we just walked down to where our friends were staying. So I'm standing in the living room talking to her because uh, he was busy doing something. I wasn't even sure where her husband was. He was in the house somewhere. Uh, and these were very good friends of ours. And so I see Jay. He's five. He's over in the corner and he's 
like rubbing and playing with this fuzzy animal thing. I don't even know what it was. Well, in a split second, I see her run over to him and she rips this thing out of Jay's hands. And she turns and she wheels and she throws this fuzzy animal thing into the kitchen. Then I see him come stumbling out with this thing on his head all crooked, you know, and he just goes running through the living room, you know, our friend. And I'm like, this all happened like this. And I thought, what in the world? Well, it turned out it was his hair and he and they weren't expecting us. And we showed up and here. Jay is over there playing with this hairpiece. And we were walking home. I said, Jay, what were you doing? And he's only five. He goes, I thought it was a coonskin cap. And I thought. (laughs) Memories. Family memories. So I'm sure you have a lot of those memories as well, right? Crazy things that happen. On your outlines that we've been working on, uh, the last foundational truth of why family is so important to God is that the Bible teaches that the family demands top loyalty after our loyalty to God. After our loyalty to God, loyalty belongs with the family first. That's what the Bible teaches. Uh, I don't know if there's any extra outlines or not, but if you have it from last week, I think we're still working on it. I don't know if the ushers, uh, Eddie and some of the others, if there's some extra outlines out there. 1 Timothy 5.8 says what? If anyone does not provide for his own household, there's a few extra if anybody wants one, uh, hold your hands up. If anyone does not provide for his own household, he has denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. The family and all these Bible references you see on the screen will be on the outline here. Uh, families really over here, Eddie, up front, Barbara, you're going to make some more copies. Okay. That's a good problem to have. God charges us to to take care of our families Uh, after service to him. It's the most important. It's interesting. A verse that we that many of us probably know from Colossians is actually linked to a couple of other important verses about marriage and family. But in our Bibles, if your Bible's like mine at Colossians three, there's a subtitle division. So the verses are separated, but we don't realize uh, that they all go together, that whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be embittered against them. So here we see that when whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of the Lord. And that includes being a wife and being a husband. The importance of our faithfulness to the Lord is directly tied to our faithfulness in our duties, being a husband or a wife. Uh, They're connected. And I would say this other places in Scripture connected. My service and love for the Lord is connected to being a son or a daughter uh, or even a friend or a neighbor uh, or, you know, a child, a parent. Uh, It's connected. So having gone through these foundational beliefs. I think we see three primary uh, things here, don't we? That the family was designed by God. It was defined by God. And we know that Satan hates the family. Satan is bent on the destruction of the family. Because in the family 
is a direct representation of God and his relationships with all of us as his creation. And we've already learned that especially the relationship between the husband and wife is a picture of Jesus' relationship with you and me as Christians in the church. So if he can disrupt and mar and destroy the family, then he can also impugn the name of God on the earth. So we shouldn't fool ourselves. Now, two kinds of families we see mentioned in the Bible. Two different categories, I guess we could say. Spiritual families, and then the other one in a moment we'll see, would be biological family. But spiritual family. In the Bible, we see a lot of words that we would use to describe family. Sons, daughters, children, father. We see that kind of language. It, it alerts us to the priority and the importance of family. Now, when it comes to spiritual families in the scripture, there are only two spiritual families. Either I am a child of God or I am a child of the devil is what the Bible says. And I'm not talking about I know some of you say, oh, you've met my son. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about how our children can act like little devils. We're talking about spiritually speaking. Here we go. Some more outlines back there if you want to hold your hands up uh, for them. Look at all that the scriptures say about being children of God. Now, children of God meaning for those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, believing that he died for your sins so that you may have eternal life. That is what the Bible, that's who the Bible is talking about when we talk about children of God. First Timothy, Paul tells Timothy that Christians or the church, Christians gathered together, not so much the local church, but the universal church is called the household of God. John chapter one, there's a beautiful passage there talking about for those who believe he has given the right to be called children of God. Galatians 3 says that by faith in Christ, we are now called sons of God or children of God. Very interesting verse in Ephesians 3. It says there that every family in heaven and on earth derives its name from the heavenly father. What he's talking about is God is the prototype. God is the prototypical father. So even if you have an, a home full of People who don't believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, still the structure of that home is prototypical of God because he's called the Father. And for Christians, that we should model our homes after God. We don't want to misconstrue this with the Mormon teaching of the eternal family. Uh, and by the way, uh, and maybe some of you are disappointed by this news. Maybe some of you are excited by this news. But our earthly family ties are dissolved in heaven. So I know we get a mixed bag. Some of you will go, oh, and some of you will go, yes. Uh, uh. But, you know, Jesus said in heaven, you neither marry nor are given in marriage. You will be like the angels. Now, he's not saying we will be angels. He's saying angels do not have marriage relationships. In heaven, the focus will be upon Jesus Christ. 
We'll see why we have marriages then in a moment. Why even bother with them? Now, the scriptures also talk about if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have not embraced him as your savior who has died for your sins, he rose from the dead, conquering death so that you could have eternal life. You are in the other family and there are only two family choices in the scripture. First John three says, by this, the children of God and the children of who? The devil are what? Obvious. Anyone who doesn't practice righteousness is not of God. Neither is the one who doesn't love his brother. Now, first John is interesting. I will send you to first John if you're doubting your salvation, because he says there, I write these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. First John was written so that we might be assured that we have eternal life because we're all tempted to doubt. But one of the things that John points out in first John, he gives, I think, oh, I think it's seven or nine marks of someone who's truly born again. But when he says someone who doesn't practice righteousness is not of God, that word practice is a really important word in first John. He's talking about a habitual lifestyle. Because who among us has not sinned? And if you raised your hand, then you have just sinned. Because we're all sinners, right? And John knows that. Because in chapter 1, verse 8, or first, verse 9, 1 John 1, 9, it says what? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So John knows that we're sinners. So what is he saying here? The word practice is talking about habitual, unrepentant lifestyle. Someone who just habitually lives a life of sin, not sensitive about sinning, uh, is not uh, pierced in his soul when he sins. He doesn't see his sin as an affront against God and against Christ. There's no sorrow over sin. There's no desire to change. He's saying, you know, a person who just gives lip service to Jesus, but his life doesn't match, then that person really is not of God. There has to be fruit to match the root. Is what John is saying, which is interesting because in his gospel, he brings that up as well, doesn't he? Uh, He likes that motif. John eight. This isn't all seven verses, but here's the highlights you are doing. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He says, you're doing the deeds of your father. You are trying to kill me. Jesus said, see, he says, you're wow. Okay, so these Pharisees. They come and who are the Pharisees? They are the spiritual religious leaders of the people of Israel. You will find no one who knows scripture more than a Pharisee. They were immersed in it. They probably had almost the entire Old Testament scripture memorized or extremely large portions of it. And then he says, oh, your father is the devil. Oh, yeah. Wow. How do you think they responded to that? Uh, Well, he says, what? You're trying to kill me. If God were your father, you would love me. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Because many today try to teach us or try to tell us that you can get to God without Christ. You can find your own way to God. But Jesus says right here, if you were if God was your father, you would love me. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. 
He was a murderer from the beginning. And he says there also, whenever he speaks, he lies because he is the father of lies. You see, and if I'm not following Christ, then I'm following Satan. Now, I'm not I'm most likely not going to be saying, you know, I, I don't wear the button Satan worshiper or Satan club number one fan. You know, I, it's not going to be something like that. Right. But if I'm not under the influence of Christ, then I'm under the influence of the God of this age who we know is Satan. It's either or there really is no middle ground. In the parable of the wheat and the tares, knowing that the wheat are true believers in Jesus, the tares are people who profess to be believers. They may look like true followers of Christ, but they're really not. And they grow in the field together. And the question to Jesus was, okay, the wheat and the tares, the believers and the fakers are together. Should we try to root out all the fakers? And he said, no. It's so hard to tell the difference. Don't do that because you might rip up some of the the wheat with the tares. That's how hard it is sometimes to tell if someone really is a true follower. But he said the tares are the sons of the evil one. And they are sown among the wheat by the enemy who is the devil. And the harvest will be at the end of the age. And then I will send the angels as the reapers. And all the tares will be gathered up and burned up at the end of the age. Jesus says, you let me and my heavenly plan take care of weeding out the true believers from the non-true believers. But our point here that relates to what we're talking about, he says, the sons of the evil one, an unbeliever, someone who is not trusted in Christ is a son of the evil one. So that's the spiritual family. Once again, family is so important that it's used even as metaphors, even as illustrations, even as teaching lessons for believers. And then the Bible, of course, talks about our biological families, extended family, uh, nuclear family. And by the way, you may have children, but you don't have to have children to be a family. The first man and the first woman, they were a family before the children arrived. Because... Were Adam and Eve's first two children, and they had more, but were Cain and Abel born in the garden or outside of the garden? Outside. After they had been created, after they had been blessed, after God commanded them to multiply. I mean, they were a family unit before the children showed up. Let me just say this to you, husbands and wives, and you will be a family unit after your children grow up and leave. And so you need to make sure that you're preserving the marriage relationship as the most important earthly relationship that you have if you're married. It must be preserved even more than the relationship with you and your children or you and your siblings if you're married. It is to have the priority. I think that's why it's so important for mom and dad. And it's hard. Don't don't get me wrong. I know it's hard. We raised three kids of our own. But it's hard to find that time to be together and be alone, right? I don't want to embarrass anyone, but I remember one lady here uh, for a while. She was saying, oh, no, I can't. You know, he almost said his name. Careful. Uh, He wants me to go away for a weekend, but I just can't leave the little one. I'm just not ready to leave. That was a couple years ago. Now it's, oh, you're going away. I didn't think you liked to do that. Oh, no, I'm over that, Pastor. I'm just, I'm 
And I was thinking, yeah, that's good. That's good. You've got to find that time. It's hard uh, for us sometimes. I mean, we tried to have Friday nights, and sometimes it meant going out to a nice dinner or movie. Sometimes it meant just going to Walmart to get our stuff. Uh, but just to be alone uh, for a little bit of time so we can talk. So we can do our 37 minutes of talking, uh, if you remember from last week. We had 37-minute date nights. Okay. Now, if we're in heaven and we don't have marriage and family in heaven, why do we have it on earth? This is really important. Not just marriage, but family. Why did God create and institute family life? This includes husband, wife, son, daughter, brother, sister, cousin, grandparents, whatever. The whole kit and caboodle. Because the family is God's antidote to loneliness. It's a place where the deepest kinds of friendships are formed and experienced. That is God's intent. Does that describe your family? Does that describe your family? And if not, then it just means we have things to work on, right? And it doesn't have to describe the whole entire family, but at least I would think within your family, you should have some of your closest friendships. And it's a shame. It happens. It happens. But it should not happen That I'm in a family and I'm still lonely. That should not be. But it does happen. But that's not God's plan. Genesis 2.18. Read that with me. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper that is suitable to him. Why was the woman created? According to this verse. Well, yeah, for the man, but because what? Because he was alone. And God said, this isn't the ideal. And I personally believe. Now, Paul said, I, not the Lord, in 1 Corinthians 7. So I, your pastor, not the Lord, believe that that was one of the reasons God created all the animals in front of Adam. Not only did he display extreme intelligence in giving them names, But I think he realized uh, there's nobody here among all this creation that's going to fit with me. So I think it taught and showed Adam. I think it helped Adam to appreciate what God created. To be a helper suitable to him. Suitable means complementary. Suitable means taking up what is lacking. Suitable means that Adam was really not a whole person until he had the woman. Now, this was before sin enters the picture, okay? We shouldn't think that, oh, if I'm single, then I'm not complete. That's not true. That's not what we're saying. But we're saying in God's design for family life, God created the woman and the man to be in a marriage relationship, which we'll see In a moment. And we'll see that a single person, a divorced person, a widow or a widower can experience the joys of family and can experience the joys of the spiritual family, the Christian family, the church that helps to alleviate some of that loneliness. Psalm 68, 6 says God makes a home for the lonely. Isn't that a a great verse? Uh, I love that verse. It's very comforting. 
Now, Malachi 2.17 or 2.14 and Proverbs 2.17 uses a very interesting word. Talking to the husband and wife and calling the husband and wife a companion. A companion. It's a very interesting word. It means literally one who accompanies. One who accompanies. So if you have a companion, you have someone that's with you. You have someone who's spending time with you. Someone who's showing interest in you. Who wrote most of the Proverbs? Do you know? Not a trick question. Solomon. And who was Solomon's father? King David. To whom were the Proverbs written? Do you remember in the opening of the Proverbs? To his son or to his children. So the Proverbs that Solomon wrote, he didn't write all of them, but he wrote most of them. It says, I'm writing these things to basically my children to give them wisdom about life. So really the Proverbs have sort of a family angle or a family perspective in their wisdom because Solomon's writing them to his children. Now, he calls marriage in Proverbs 2 and then in Malachi as well. Marriage is called a covenant. That's a really important word if we are to understand marriage. I think our world thinks of marriage today more as a contract. But what is it about contracts that's not true about a covenant? Yeah, contracts can be broken. A covenant is a very serious thing. And he says that the marriage is a covenant, that marriage is a sacred thing. And where does he get that word covenant? Well, remember when God made a covenant with Abraham and he said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And all the people of all the world will be blessed because of my relationship with you. Does anyone remember how God sealed the deal for that covenant? He took a bird. Killed that bird. He cut it in half. This is how they made covenants in the Old Testament. He put one part of the bird here, one part of the bird here. And if you're making a covenant with someone, the two people would walk between the two pieces of cut animal. Because what they were saying is, if I ever break this covenant, may the same thing happen to me that has happened to this animal. But when God made a covenant with with Abraham, it says that God walked between that cut animal by himself because there was no one greater to swear by. He swore by himself. But covenant, making a covenant in the Old Testament, they were saying, may it happen to me if I break this covenant, what has happened to this poor animal that we have killed? So marriage is a sacred covenant. Marriage is a place where we walk together through thick and thin, no matter what comes. It's not just a contract, it's a covenant. And then, did God bless the first marriage before or after the children arrived? Before. Yeah, it says God blessed them and then said, be fruitful, multiply. So from that, we know that children are a blessing. And in God's perspective, children. Yeah, I see some of you kids reminding your parents, I'm a blessing, I'm a blessing. Uh, This blessing needs $10. Okay. Okay. Yeah, 20. Sorry. I was trying to read his lips, but he said 20. But in God's design for the family, children are a blessing that come out of marriage. 
not a requirement to be a family, but a blessing. So these truths about marriage and family impact every member of the family. If being a companion means that you're spending time with someone, you're being interested in someone. And we'll see in a moment as we connect these family proverbs between parents and children and grandparents and everybody in the family. And some of you kids are probably ready to choke on your gum right now, but this is true. Your kids should enjoy being with you, mom and dad. Your kids should enjoy your company. And vice versa. Mom and dad, you should be enjoying your children's company. That doesn't mean 24-7. That doesn't mean they're going to live with you for their whole lives. But if children are a blessing, and family is a place for companionship and the most intimate friendships that we can have, then we should be enjoying one another's company, right? Right. Now, I know... I know. I'm not talking about 24-7. I know. Some, some of you are thinking, you don't know how he gets on my last nerve. Yes, I do. Because I've gotten on a few last nerves myself. I know what it's like. Were there times when I want to be alone and you wish the kids would go ride their bikes? Or there are times when you just send them up to their room simply to get rid of them? Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. Yes, we do that. But I'm not sending them out of the house. I'm sick of you. I don't want to be with you. I don't like you. That's not what we're saying. One of the best compliments we ever got is when our daughter told us a couple years before she ran off and got married. Well, she didn't run off. That sounded bad. Before the Lord brought her a wonderful man. And he is. But at one point she told us, she said, uh, you and mom are my best friends. I mean, I mean, that's a reward. That's a reward that every parent wants to hear. And then, you know, that's biblical. You release your child and they get married. But we should enjoy each other's company, parents and kids. And by the way, if that's not happening, I think maybe we should work on that. You should schedule, coordinate some activities, things to do together to spend time together. So God's plan and purpose for the family is to have a place for companionship, friendship, intimacy, Sometimes that means being lovingly honest, though at times it may be painful to hear. That's what we have to do as families. It's having a place where you can totally be yourself. Without being judged, without being ridiculed, without being made fun of. If you want to wander around the house till one in the afternoon in your old raggedy slippers and your bathrobe that you've had for 12 years... You should be allowed to do that, right? Right? If this one doesn't want mustard on his hamburger, and this one doesn't want cheese, and this one wants pickles, we should be able to do, right? We should be able to be ourselves. Those are easy examples. If we want to play with coonskin caps, we should be able to do that. We should have the ability and the freedom to totally be ourselves in our homes. That's what God has designed it to be. Proverbs seventeen seventeen. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Remember the family angle of Proverbs. Sometimes we only see family during a crisis, he's saying. 
And friends are sometimes closer than family, and that shouldn't be. What he's saying is, you know, family will be there for the big things or if there's a problem. But a friend is there all the time. But God has also created the family to be there all the time. That's the way it should be. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Better is an open rebuke than concealed love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Sometimes love and sometimes in family we have to say things that are hard. But we say them because they're needed and because we love each other. Because we love each other. Sometimes we have to have, I mean, I, I've had, not recently, but when my kids were growing up, especially those teen years, you have to have some difficult conversations. My kids have come to me with difficult criticism for me. That's what I know. I think that happened once, just once. I'm just kidding. But we have to be humble. We have to listen, right? That's one of the reasons God has put us in a family. And I would say, since we're talking about marriage in a family, I would encourage the husbands and I would encourage the guys, if you're dating, or to really listen to what your wife is saying. We may not want to hear it, and then we'll have to cool off later, but God has given her to you to be a voice, oftentimes a voice of reason. The righteous is a guide to his neighbor. These are things that our families should be exhibiting. The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. In other words, within your family, don't bring out the worst in the others. Use your influence for good. What kind of family member are you? What kind of sibling are you? What kind of spouse or or grandparent are you? What kind of influence do you have over your family members? Are you leading them in a way that's pleasing to God, enriching them spiritually? Or, or are you the type of person that just brings out the worst in people because you have a critical spirit or you're a complainer or, you know, you're not a godly problem solver? He who blesses, I love these proverbs. These are good. I even marked this because I wanted to read this other one. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice in the morning will be considered a curse. <laughs> Why aren't you laughing? It's funny. We had, when I was growing okay. When I was growing up, when I was a middle schooler, there was an elderly grandparent couple that lived on the block. So, of course, it's Indiana. All the kids are riding their bikes. All the kids are at everybody's house. You know, you're playing jailbreak late into the night and all this. But I don't even remember their names. But their grandson from Tennessee, who was our age, he would come up for several weeks during the summers. And his name was Edward. And boy, did he have a twang. And he was from, oh, sorry, Barbara, Tennessee. Oops. Let's change it to Kentucky. No, uh, he was from Tennessee. He had a twang. But this kid, Edward, he would show up at our house. I'm not kidding you. Like at 7, 7.30 during the summer. And he wouldn't just knock, you know, because in the summer we stay up really late and then you sleep in more. And, of course, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, so she was home. But he would knock on the door. But then if we wouldn't answer, he would stand out there yelling, Jeff! Pat! 
Jim, where are you guys? Come on out. He would be just yelling. Early in the morning, my mom would have to go out there and shoo him away. Go home. They'll come down when, when they get up. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice in the morning is going to be considered a curse. Right? Twenty five twenty Proverbs twenty five twenty. It's really good. Like one who takes off a garment on a cold day or like vinegar on soda. Did you ever do that experiment when you're in school? You pour the vinegar on the soda. What happens to it? It bubbles and foams up everywhere. Is he who sings songs to a troubled heart? It's like taking off your coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar on soda when you try to sing songs to a troubled heart. In other words, someone is in anguish, they're suffering, they're troubled, and you're just trying to downplay the mood. You're trying to be light. You're trying to be happy. They're saying that's the wrong, that's the inappropriate response. So these proverbs are saying we need to be sensitive in our homes with our families to our likes and dislikes of each other. We need to try to be a blessing. And we need to try to make our blessings appropriate, both time-wise and what we're doing. Proverbs 27, 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, so is a man's counsel to his friend. Do we bring sweetness to life with our words? We should be encouraging. We should be all about trying to cheer each other up. That's what being family is all about, right? Like oil and perfume. Oil, in the Old Testament context, would mean healing, soothing, comforting. And, of course, perfume is obvious. Is that how people would describe you? Is that how your family would describe you as oil and perfume? Do you bring sweetness to life with your words? We're always joking. She's trying not to laugh because... uh, uh, I always say, now, you know, everybody says that about me, Lisa. I'm just sweetness and light. Uh, Of course, I'm being sarcastic, uh, but we're supposed to be, especially in the home. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. This is an interesting verse because it's not often understood. Uh, What the writer is saying is that this is all about trying to help each other get back in sync. Uh, When we're troubled or we're out of kilter a little bit or we're troubled, whether it's spiritually, mentally or emotionally, and we lift each other's spirits to help us to see more clearly the reality of a situation, the sharpening, because what is sharpening doing to the object that's being sharpened? It's making it sharp. I guess you're not supposed to use the word in the definition of the word. Talk about clarity. It's talking about things are just out of sync a bit. And we come along and we help each other to kind of see things as they should be. We're almost done here. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows and death. So is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, oh, I was just joking. In other words, words are very powerful. And especially in the home, this may be one of the greatest sins in family life, sins of communication, sins of words, because we really take advantage of those that we are the closest to. Right. 
It's like, why are you yelling at me? Well, because no one else is here and I need to yell at somebody. We want to make sure we use our words to build each other up in our homes, not to tear each other down. And sometimes our words are very cruel and hurtful. And then we shift the blame onto the person that we've just hurt. Oh, you're just too sensitive. Now, the writer of the Proverbs says that's not the case. The writer of the Proverbs says the one using the cruel words is the one being insensitive. Then he compounds the problem by saying, oh, you just can't take a joke or or I was just kidding. You know, we're only kidding when we see that someone got upset. I mean, if they weren't if they didn't get upset, then we weren't kidding. You have to be really careful. Greater love has no one than this. That one lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said to his disciples that were there with him, I call you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. It's interesting. We often zero in on the sacrificial part, right? We should be sacrificial in big things and small things with those whom we love, with our family. But the second part of this verse also says something, doesn't it? When Jesus said, I've made known to you everything I've heard from my father. In other words, are we willing to share with our loved ones on the deepest level possible? Are we transparent? Are we open? Are we honest? Not just with our speaking, but with our listening as well. Are we willing to be that way with our closest loved ones? Because that was one of the purposes, one of the reasons Jesus or the Lord even created family. So that we might have a place where we could be completely open, completely honest, completely transparent. And not to be afraid. Let's pray. Why don't you stand together with me? Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. I just want to check if if the Lord used his word today to speak to you, to reveal to you maybe something that you know that you need to work on. Can you just raise your hand? Okay. Thanks. Put put your hands down. Thank you. Yeah, it's a a serious matter, isn't it? Uh, Not just the covenant of marriage is sacred, but the covenant of family. And I know a lot of our families are broken. Uh, Mine is. Uh, Not my immediate family, my extended family. Uh, But you know what? The Lord's really convicted me. That happened a few years ago. Uh, I remember I was on the freeway and I was stuck in a traffic jam. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call every single one of my siblings and talk to them for a couple minutes. I have eight siblings. I called every single one of them and spoke to them for a few minutes. Because I just felt convicted that, you know, I was put in my family. You were put in your family, not by accident, not by karma, not by fate, not by chance. God designed you for your family and he designed your family for you. You are just what they need and they are just what you need. But because of sin, things get messed up sometimes, right? But if we realize and if we remember, we remind ourselves That God designed family. That family life, marriage, husband, wife, son, 
daughter, brother, sister, grandma, grandpa, cousin, aunt, uncle. That's God's plan for you to be in the clan, I guess we could say, that you're in. So now ask yourself, are you fulfilling your purpose that God has given you for your family? You may be hurt. You may be disappointed. You may be frustrated. You may be angry. But that doesn't mean you can't fulfill your responsibilities. Because the scriptures are clear that your responsibility is, first of all, an act of worship to the Lord. And say it would be easy, but he says you are able and that your family needs you because God has said that your family needs you. And if you're here today, maybe you're divorced, maybe you're single, maybe you're a widow or a widower. You know what? You still have a family, too. You have family members and you should be thrilled that you can serve God right where you are. You're not at a deficit. If you have the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not at a deficit. Then you still have lives that you need to impact. You have duties that you need to fulfill. Lord, help us to remember the sacredness of our families. That after our commitment to you should be our commitment to our homes. And that they are designed by providence. And may we not take it lightly. And Father, may we see the joys. And may we experience the happiness. We are sinners living with sinners. And sometimes it's hard. But we know that we can disciple each other. We know that we can sharpen each other. We know that each family member can be an instrument for sanctification. If we submit ourselves to your design for relationships, for family, for marriage. So, Father, work in our hearts, work in our lives, work in our homes, enrich our daily lives together. Encourage us with the blessings of family and home. And, Father, may we be really encouraged because we know that the family has your stamp of approval and that you can accomplish much in our homes and in the world. We want to make sure that we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here today. Don't forget, if you know a single parent, there's a little booklet out there. Feel free to take one uh, to encourage them.